0: you choose the lead. Mark's vision for the Mark's vision for trade states to build a strong presence that can positively influence the Australian financial advice industry and provide the market with a visible and intelligent, <laughs> 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 which a intelligent uh, alternative to traditional financial advice. <laughs> so next, as I said, they all provide their advice. Clayton Daniel, for I have the pride the privilege and the pleasure of introducing you to this knight.
1: <laughs> I first met him <laughs> <laughs>
0: of a mountain near Jerusalem, praying to God. Next he amazed me. Still further in Italy when he saved a fatherless beauty from her dreadful Turkish aunt, uncle. <laughs> and I remember this distinctly, in Greece. He spent a whole year in silence. Just to better understand the sound of a whisper.
2: With <laughs> no more ado,
0: I give you the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, the <laughs> of the Lord God, the one, the only, plain Daniel. Yeah. Do not send me a joke bio. <laughs> no Don't to anyone else. So today we're talking about going beyond the SOA. So, <laughs> what does that mean uh, for these three people who are in and around our industry? So, to start us off, Mia, would love to hear about what. Oh, I'll, I'll sit down.
3: Ooh. Ooh.
0: Mia,
2: <laughs> we'd love to hear about what you guys at Everlessco are doing. Sure. Um, it's one <laughs> <laughs> up. Um, Thank you. <laughs> So, um, being a process-based person, I I did want to actually share part of our process tonight and um, it's what we call our terms of engagement meeting and it happens after our discovery meeting but before we present an SOA and the reason why I thought it was relevant tonight was because it carries more weight and adds more value than simply just presenting an SOA Rather than talking through every single step that happens during that meeting, I just wanted to highlight two main parts. One of them being that we've added in what the roadblocks are to clients actually achieving things by themselves. So what they need advisors for. And the three most common things that we've found is time. So our clients don't have the time to dedicate to doing the things they need to do by themselves. And the other one is fear. So they have this fear of making the wrong decision, so they don't make a decision at all. And then the final one is around paralysis by analysis. So they spend all this time looking online at all the different options that they have available, and then they never actually take any action. So as advisors, it's our job to help them overcome those roadblocks. And we found adding that to our process is really helpful. Um, The other part that I wanted to talk about was around how we can better get clients to visualize what it would look like if they did work with us. And what we've decided to do is to build an advice timeline. So it's a, um, a timeline of everything that we want them to do, so what their long-term aspirations are, and then also what the advice priorities are. So what we're gonna be doing from an advice perspective. And we use lots of images, within document to try and illustrate what it would look like if they do some of those more boring financial things up front which then means that they can achieve those long-term objectives so the purchasing of the new car or the home purchase or the investment property purchase whatever it may be um, we found by adding in something which is a lot more visual it just helps the client understand how all of the advice fits together
0: I'm just going to take the liberty to move everyone over. As much as I like being the centre of attention, can we just all sit over so everyone can see you guys do better? Um, you... <laughs> um, okay, Mark, what are you guys doing? And did I say your business name right? Probably not. Yeah, you did. Oh, yes, nailed it. It's a pretty good effort.
4: You made a better job of pronouncing the business name than the rest of the intro. A few long words I in that, mate. Very um, intelligent. So, uh, I think, could, how many advisors do we have in the room? I think the numbers are reasonably good, aren't they, relative to the. Yeah, we'll get it out, yeah, no, yeah good. So, um, is there any advisor here that thinks. That their clients are infused and energised by reading an SOI. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of the response I expected. And yet we've allowed this document to become the centre and dominate the way that we run our businesses. So, you know, why why has that happened, and why are we letting that continue? I think are big questions. And until we shrink-wrap this beast in our businesses and make sure that it doesn't dominate what we do, but it's just ancillary to all of the good stuff, um, I think we're gonna be constrained in terms of the way that we engage our clients. So you have to understand where the the history of the SOA and the regulations that surround it, um, but essentially it's a document that's dominated by the licensee um, and legislation neither of which have your clients particularly in mind. So if you're going to bring the client back to the center of what you do, and I, if, you know, if you want a great business, you've got to have the client at the center, right? Um, the SOA needs to be shrimp wrapped so that you can do all the really great stuff around it. is um, not going to go away. Compliance is always going to be there. It's going to increase, not decrease. Um, it's there for a reason. We've had a lowest common denominator uh, business model our industry unfortunately you know if you if you're a licensee and you've got you know a hundred advisors you've got to deal with the guy that's the worst at doing his job right so if you're the guy that's the best you're stuck with the same rules and regulations of the licensee as the worst guy so you know that's not a great business model which is why I'm an advocate of being self licensed so you don't actually have that issue but you know, so are some of the things that have created an SOI, and from my perspective and the way that our business looks at things, um, we are growing way beyond the SOI, we're shrink-wrapping it, we're not putting it at the centre of our business, we're not allowing it to dictate the way that we do things, but it's got a use, it has to be there, um, and when we are advising around products and we need an SOI, it becomes an incidental part of what we do not the driver of what we do. So if you think about all the technology that you have in your business, a lot of that is all around generating a statement of advice. Well, you know, the, the centre of our technology is about client engagement. And yes, we have software that produces a very good at compliant statement of advice. It's Midwinter Julian and Naomi, you know that, right? great. Um, so that's doing a fantastic job for, from a compliance perspective, but You know, in terms of the way that we engage our clients, we've put client engagement and our client relationship management at the center of what we do. Um, You know, all of the good stuff isn't in an SOA. The problem is that the processes and procedures that we have in our industry are all about data collection around that stuff which is low value. So we're really brilliant at recording all of the low value data we're really bad at recording all of the good stuff. So that gets lost in the ether, it's just a conversation, right? So the next iteration of tools to support what we do has to help us collect the really good and valuable data and then be able to re-deliver that to our clients to create a richer and deeper experience which feels much more personal to them. So I didn't want it to be a monologue and I'll jump off the sofa or <laughs> This fella can have the microphone. Okay.
0: Good segue. So um, Clayton, the secret of Serenity, what are you doing to go
5: beyond the SOA? Um, When I think of what's beyond the SOA, I think, um, first of all, what's in the SOA, and then what's not in the SOA, and how much value and advising gives people within an SOA, and how much they give outside of the SOA. So um, in an SOA, what do you got? Insurance recommendation, super recommendation, investment portfolio, Um, and what's not in uh, an SOA. So you've got an entire relationship with the person where they start making smart decisions based on their trust with you as the advisor Um, and as that trust and relationship grows they just automatically start making better decisions. They can go on at any point onto Google and within two minutes find the solution that they need but up until the point that they have a, a trusting relationship they're not going to make any changes. And the reason for that is people don't engage with their money on a rational level. They engage with their money on an emotional level. And so you take the role as the advisor of, instead of Google, you connect the person emotionally to their own outcome uh, and then they have a better life. So could you do that without an SOA? Yeah, you probably could. Um, is it worth doing without an SOA? Probably not. Um, so, I say that it's worth being a financial advisor, um, even though someone who's not a financial advisor could do it. Because, with being a financial advisor, you automatically have that, the things that are in the SOA taken care of. So, that, that's almost a buy and buy. It's, uh, oh, these are the, the functional things that we have to do, which was the birth of the of the industry, and yet now is almost the uh, the backstop. So when I think beyond the SOA, or even as uh, Peter put it earlier, before the SOA, thank you, uh, <laughs> she, she points out that there's a lot that goes on informing that trust relationship before someone walks in the door. Um, What's crazy is now that in the last couple of months, only a handful of months, less than a handful of months, that I haven't been a financial advisor um, and I've started doing blogs and and, and books and and articles and whatnot, um, more people come to me for advice now than ever. So random people on LinkedIn will just message me or email me. Uh, on Twitter, everywhere, now that I've stopped being, now that I'm talking publicly about the things that every single person in this room can talk about because it's not in the SOA, but now I'm just focused on it because they don't have an SOA, um, people are really resonating with it and it's that whole trust piece, it's the whole engagement, it's the whole relationship piece. Um, so yeah, when I think about what's beyond the SOA, I think about that's the majority of the advice, that's the relationship with the person, that's the education, that's where they're gonna get the value. Um, and yet, someone like myself, who's not an advisor anymore, could never do the role of an advisor. So it's always totally worth it. Um, I'll, I'll
0: go back to you, Mia. You, you talked about your, you know, within your engagement meeting, you talk about the three roadblocks you um, you addressed with the client. Um, my question, and we're gonna throw up questions to the audience, we've got roaming minds that, that we'll um, come around with, but my question when you say that, what, what are you finding is like the number one roadblock? Out of the three that you addressed, what's the number one reason um, people aren't being financially successful on their own?
2: Uh, it's definitely that paralysis by analysis. Um, whenever we meet with a client and run through those roadblocks, whenever we say that one thing, we get the head nodding going, that's exactly what I've been doing. They're saying, well, yeah, I, I spent all this time online looking at all these options and I, I spoke to my friend about what I should be doing, but I wasn't sure, so I guess how happened to me so I thought I'd come to you and try and work out what I should be doing. So I think that that's probably like, the number one reason why people aren't doing things by themselves and that's why they, you know, it's one of the reasons why they do seek advice.
0: Yeah, totally agree. That's, that's definitely the one that resonated with me and I see clients all the time and I pretty much... Tell them if they leave the meeting and, and they don't become a client, say that's fine. I'll test up six yeah. months' time and just touch base and say, Have you done what we talked about you were going to do?
2: Yeah, and time works as an asset in that way because there's so many clients you meet with them, they won't go ahead at that one point. And then, whether it's three months, six months later, you just send that email and you use one piece of information that you have and say, Oh, but how's that going? and then they'll come back to go and come back.
0: So, Mark, I'll, I'll throw over to you. you. You did talk about um, licensing and, and compliance being an issue when when uh, talking about stuff that isn't um, in the statement of advice. And, and you talked about, you know, self-licensing is, is really a great thing to do. But um, how do we do that when our industry is built up around licensing models? ASIC uh, basically don't really want to sort to of become self licensed. It's a lot more work for them to uh, regulate 18,000 advisors when they can just regulate large licensees. So, so as a whole, we've got a big movement pushing us to, to keep the current model, and you're saying the best way is to uh, move to a model that, that everyone is pushing us away from. How do we manage that as, as a licensed advisor, non-self-licensed? Um, it, hu- it feels like a huge hurdle
4: to go into the self-license game. Yeah, look, I, I think that's an urban myth. Uh, it's not difficult to obtain a license, it's not difficult to sustain and service a license. Um, I can't see any advantages of the licensee model, like frankly, outside of ASIC having to potentially look after a smaller number of licenses. Um, but you no, know, it's the bigger licensees that have had issues. About. So in terms of you know basically they're saying, well we don't have the resources to look at all of these individual licensees, they're actually the, the, the big compliance failures are coming out of the big product houses that have only sustained big licenses because they it's a distribution channel. So, you know, nobody makes money out of being a licensee without taking margin on product. There's a couple of the edges that are kind of doing okay. Um, but mostly that's a fact, right? So if it's a distribution channel, then you know I think it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because you know you're creating an environment where the licensee needs to take margin from the product, which in itself creates a compliance issue. So unless you unwind that and you allow everybody to be individually licensed, sure there's a lot of more there's a lot more licenses that you need to regulate. You're going to unwind the problem because the licensees no longer need to distribute product to make the license financially viable. So, it's once you kind of think that through, it's pretty obvious um, that the current structure isn't right and it's not long-term sustainable. But, I mean,
0: I'm going to push back on that. It, and you being a little bit disingenuous saying it's, it's an urban myth that self-licency is, isn't that hard. Because You've got to think about the support networks that a licensee can provide, the technology that they can provide, the compliance updates. Like, do do I really want to be reading assets for you know updates? Um, so there is a lot of support that licensees can provide a small single
4: advisor business. Um, okay, here's an idea.
1: <laughs>
4: how <laughs> how about a business that supplies full service suite to an advice business without being a licensee, yeah, <laughs> it's not rocket science, and somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to do it pretty soon, and when they do, it's going to be very disruptive, and it's going to be a fantastic next step in what we do. Um, you know, you can put all of the tools together without being a licensee, so you remove that conflict. But what you're doing is actually providing whole bunch of really great services to advisors, stuff that they really need. So if you want to put a CRM in the middle of your business, and you want to use something like sales tools, for example, that's really expensive. So if you can't organize some group buying around that, it's brilliant, you're not going to be able to do like that. So it's really hard to improve your business model unless you have a supplier that's prepared to deliver services without it being hooked to a license that requires you to sell their product.
0: Yes, again, I mean just so everyone's aware, Ben told me Phil UNC you because you're gonna push back on them. so, <laughs> so I was that's hoping what you I'm not uh, <laughs> But but isn't that what a licensee is? They they group by all the technology, but and then tacking on that and making sure advisors are compliant, but then taking on that license is Really, a small part of the, that service offering. So, if there was a, a separate company that did all of that without the license,
4: um, wouldn't they be charging the same fee as a, as a license? Fee? Yeah, quite possibly, and that's emotionally reasonable. Um, but what you're getting is you're getting a delivery of services that help you grow your business and help you have better relationships with your clients versus a model. Where you're not getting any of those things, you're getting delivered a suite of services designed to protect the licensee, not give a good experience to your clients. It makes no sense. I
1: agree. Um, let's go to a question. Full disclosure, I like Mike have decided to go self licensed, but I think there is every opportunity in license land. But can I please ask that you stop letting your Dealer groups treat you like children. We allow them to be our parents, and it is not appropriate. They're a service provider. A fabulous one, potentially, but we allow them to talk to us like we are secondary to them when, in fact, they're just another service provider like all the other ones you use. And if we change that dynamic in the industry, I think the compliance stuff will start to change a little bit. I think the attitude will start to change because we'd be saying, this document is not good enough, fix it, instead of, all right, it's what I've got to do. So I think you can absolutely change, you can stay as a, a, a person within a dealer group. I actually think for some people it's perfect. But I think we need to demand more constantly of those groups that we're allowing to define the future of our business. Yeah, Peter,
4: hey, no, I, don't, I don't think that's going to work because of the lowest common denominator model. So clearly you're correct. But if you've got, you know, if you're the licensed if you have 50 of you, great business, but you don't. One of you and 49 others, right? So it's about the worst of those 50. That's where the compliance comes from. So whilst that exists, whilst the licensee is taking the risk for the advice, you're going to be compromised.
0: So moving on to Clayton, is compliance, so it was a facetious bio, but Clayton's no longer an advisor. So is compliance a reason you left advice?
5: It played a big role, definitely. Um, Compliance, if compliance was this, if compliance was a better result for clients, uh, I'd be all for it. Um, But as you just alluded to, it's normally just to protect the delivery, which you don't really want to say, unless you feel like standing up to them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's. I just found myself doing a bunch of stuff which was all about the dealer group rather than the client. And the, and the strange thing was the more I got focused on the client, and the more tailored the advice got to the client. And the more I stepped out of the framework, the more compliance became a problem. And I thought, that's a broken model. Um, if I was smart enough, I probably would have just self-licensed. <laughs> so we've got, a, we've got a question from
3: Dan Nash. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll give you a question. I'll direct this one at Nagali because uh, I know he's, uh, you know, has a tendency to become opinionated about certain things. Um, but, okay, so we agree that there's all this work that we do outside the SOA. That's the real value. The SOA document's a compliance document. It doesn't really add value. So I suppose the question is, what's the solution? Is it that we make uh, the SOA simpler? Is it that we have no SOA? Is it, you know, what what does a, a forward-thinking, modern advisor, like, how do they solve this problem to, you know, continue to add value without being burdened by compliance, but then, you know, to, to ensure that uh, consumers are protected?
4: Yeah, so I, I think you just, you do that by putting the SOA in its place. So I think i I think a modernised advice business will have less licensed advisors and more advisors that are not licensed doing the great stuff and you're going to will the product by it. So, you know, um, with, with Clayton's uh, business model there's so many advantages around that. You have this inherent weakness because you can't deliver on the product when it's required and let's be honest, it's often required, right? So you need to be able to pull somebody in to just discharge the compliance piece. So I think you can. I think what we're going to see is a shift in the balance of the way that we start our businesses. Um, and yeah, the SOI will always be there, and it should be because when you are moving product, you need to make sure that that's best interest, not remuneration stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, we are out there kind of creating a new category. So I think that's a good thing because 80% of adult Australians do not like what we do. They're not hearing us, they don't use us, it makes no sense. If we kind of have the, uh, the courage to evolve and to create this new segment, we're going to service way beyond the 20% that we currently do and the SOI will be just a shrink-wrapped component.
3: So, and, and just to follow up, and i, I like to hear it from, the, from the, other, the others on this as well, but like, do we just accept that the SOA is always going to be a boring, long, cumbersome document, or is there a better solution? We don't need to
4: accept that it's a boring, long, cumbersome document, because that is your licensee and their lawyers that create that. Yes, I do not want or advocate 100-page SOAs. Okay, so you're
3: self-licensed and you've spent time thinking about your SOA. Do you think that your SOA is amazing and just blows people's minds when you present it to them?
4: No, and it's not designed to be. Absolutely not. So is there a better solution or what? Yes, there is because you, I think that, you know, we're evolving to a point where there's more than one document. So, you know, we will be producing guidebooks, which is more about well-being, happiness, lifestyle, satisfying other areas of a client's life, and the SOI will be put in its place, so it will not be the dominant document. Um, so I don't sit here, Ben, saying we've done all this stuff and we've got it all right. What I'm confident about is the direction that we're moving in. And, uh, and I think that there will be two documents and the life document, the guidebook, whatever you choose to call that, will be all of the really fantastic stuff. But where it starts is you need the, you need the systems and the processes within a business to be able to collect the great stuff. That, that right now, that doesn't exist. All we're collecting is the technical stuff because it feeds into the SLI and that gets rammed out to the client You've left all of the conversation on the table, which is kind of a tragedy, right? Because that's where all the good stuff is. But there isn't, there are not the tools currently available to be able to absorb that, use that data, and regurgitate it to create a rich experience for the client. Okay, we've got another audience question.
3: Over here. Um, I just wanted to ask: of um, did you keep on referring it to the SOA as the centrepiece? Why? Why do you think it's a centrepiece?
4: Why have you made it the centrepiece? We haven't made it the centrepiece. I think the I think I think more historically. I think I think I'm talking oh, we we, yeah. 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 we
0: haven't made the main. centrepiece
4: centrepiece. I I tend to view my SOA as kind of more like my T V manual. It's there, it's you know, had to be gone through, but realistically right, it needs to be kind of like short, concise and you know, give the value. But there's still no solution. Uh, I, think, I think that the solutions are on the way. Um, but yeah, at this point, when I say about the yes, SI being centerpiece, I talk about the industry in general, not necessarily individual businesses. I know a lot of individ- individual businesses that are really bucking that trend and they're trying to do some really great things. But like I said, it's, it's almost a new category, right? So you've got to commercialize that. The
0: SLA traditionally has been the place where the revenue is generated. Okay, so let's move traps a little bit. Clayton, I want to um, ask you this question. So, uh, you know, there's an industry stat 20% of people are receiving advice. You said when you started, uh, when you stopped giving advice, you started doing more uh, blogging content, more people were asking you questions. Do you think that because you were just being more widely helpful? Um, And do you think that as an industry, to attract more than 20%, we need to be thinking outside of just the people who are paying us
5: money, and we need to be more helpful. Yeah, the weird thing about financial advice is we consider ourselves different from every other industry. It's the weirdest thing. Like, if you just look outside of financial advice, the way that business works is you attract a client base because you educate an uneducated consumer. Like, it's, it's really not that difficult. But we... We don't think like that for some reason. Um, so if you spent if everyone spent their time educating the uneducated, then you're just gonna be the place to go to. And I I mean if you read the book the Ocean, like that's all that's all that's that's about. That's not a new a new thing, but witnessing it now in my own life is a weird thing. But I just want to quickly touch on Ben's question about the SOA. Um, I think what where's the SOA come from? The SOA is If you go back 20 years, it was a one-page handwritten document. And then a bunch of people got ripped off, and then uh, all this standard text filled in. Over time, it just lumped on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other. And that was through um, confliction in remuneration. So as conflicts drop, why do we still need all the standard text? Um, It's going to get to a point where... Five years from now, a lot of conflicts are going to be gone. And why do we, you know, basically, the SOA is almost, especially come from an aligned model, it's just a bunch of graphs and text to say, oh, it's sweet, I can just stick you there. Like, that's the point, right? But if if there's no APL, um, then there's no conflicts, and then there's, you know, there's commissions. Um, which caused a lot of the problems in the first place, especially with investments, and that's gone now, right? So you can't earn commissions from investments. So a lot of conflicts are gone, especially if you got rid of the APL and products were open. Um, I, I think, yeah, you could shrink SOA massively. As Mark said, I, that's what ASIC want
0: to see. So, so, so moving back to the direction that I wanted to take it, um, <laughs> Mia, I know you guys in you know, let's go
1: Close enough. Um, (laughs) You
0: guys do a lot of workshop with clients, potential clients. Um, And is that your um, philosophy around it is, let's be helpful, let's give information, let's educate the uneducated? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the SLA
2: document is a product compliance document and it comes right at the end. So um, we're so focused on how we can get people more engaged with financial advice, understand that there is a need for it, and then gently bring them in and then sort of really probe deep into what is it that they really want in life. And then how can financial advice maximise the probability of their outcomes being achieved? So we're massively focused on what can be done before you ever even get to an SOA, which is really just what products do they need to be able to help.
1: And in your bio, one thing I really love is um, helping empower people to become healthier, wealthier, and happy clients. Um, we've got a question. Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, the gentleman
0: mentioned a bit earlier that uh, at the moment, financial planners are focusing on the top 20% of uh, income earners. Uh, no? You said top 20? Only 20% get advice. Only 20% advice, okay. Um, I, I hear that myself. I ordered a lot of boutique AFSLs. And a lot of them, you know, whether they like it or not, tend to target the top 20%. What sort of strategy can you um, bring in that will expand that to maybe the top 50%? Right, uh, the bottom 50% may not have disposable income to invest, and you may not be able to add value. But I might be wrong because I'm not a planner. Let's let's get a client with that one. What do you what do you do?
5: I was expecting Mark to <laughs> That's why I
0: asked you, my friend. Well, what do you think we can do as an industry? Uh, to do... Mm-hmm. To target... Non- to broaden the offering to... Oh, uh, right, 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 right. right. Uh, the top 50% as opposed to the top twenty. percent Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't you know, know you. why you
5: were nervous, man. Okay. Uh, so anyway, um, cash flow. So cash flow is a massive thing. Um, and you can... You, you, you say someone doesn't have a lot of money, traditionally, funds under management, uh, no great client. Um, but if someone's a, um, his name calls them a Henry, high earning, not rich yet, um, so they're, they're great client as well. So and that's just based on um, being able to help them with their cash flow, there's a lot you can go into it. But um, more than just monitoring and, and pointing out where they're spending their money, you can actually control it as well just being helpful, like as advisors we can
0: just like actually care about what clients want um, and what they need and just help them achieve that and charge them a fee for it. <laughs> yeah. so they, it sounds silly but... Um, okay, um... so Mark you talk, you touched on tech um, and and we will go into a little bit of tech because you said you know, Salesforce, I, I don't have a business where I can jump into a half a million dollar um, solution, solution. So um, how do the smaller, newer businesses kind of deal with the tech side of running a really efficient financial planning firm?
4: Yeah, I think it's a big challenge. Uh, the solutions I don't think exist right now in terms of, I don't think that there's a service provider that has a holistic offering of tools without it being attached to a license. We're seeing an emergence of that in the US um, where the model's slightly different Um, and I'm pretty, pretty sure that in time there will be providers in Australia that offer a more holistic range of services which are not centered around the requirements of a licensee to protect their license.
0: From well, Phil, I'm
3: just going to jump in there with the comments.
0: Um, <laughs> just two things. Um, open architecture, plug and play with everything that is available. That's what you're looking for. And Zapier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't get him away from it. Um, and, Mike, and Mike, just if you raise it to you. Yeah, because the guys up the back can't quite. Hear. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jess Briggs. Is that OK? Sorry to call you, Phil.
2: Um, I'm interested in, so the SLA is obviously the upfront engagement piece, and whether it works or not is obviously being debated. What, and Clayton, probably less relevant for you unless you want to talk about pre-sale, um, what are you doing specifically to continue to engage and educate your clients once you've onboarded them and they've been a of yours for perhaps a number of years? Fantastic question, go there. Um, well, we've sort of built in um, that cash flow um, coaching. So we're having more contact with our clients after they decide that they want to become a client and you go through the whole process and have signed off in the SLA. Um, so we're having a bit more conversation with our clients on an ongoing basis. So we provide them with monthly reporting. So that way, on a monthly basis, we can check in on them and say, well, you know, you're below on the budget, Do you need to come in for another conversation. And then it comes to the um, what else we can be educating them on. We're, we're offering um, seminars to our clients, and with the healthy, wealthy, happy kind of offering that we have, um, it's not just financial planning-based seminars, so we're sort of building a service offering that um, gets our clients to come in to learn a little bit more about other areas of their life that might be of interest, and, and then also tap on the you know, financial planning side of update as well.
4: Yes, I'll kind of go back and think about yourself as a consumer and how you get value from anybody that provides a service to you. One of the issues that we have at the moment is that because of the the SOI being centric to what we do and the way that we collect the data right up front with our initial meetings, is that you actually even though you have great conversations with your clients, all of the gold is left in the ether as conversation. You've only collected the low-value stuff. So when you start to provide an ongoing service, it's dictated by the dollar that you've collected. If you think about the hugely successful businesses around the planet at the moment, they're people that are collecting very detailed information about your life. And they regurgitate that to you in terms of value. So, unless you have a process that allows you to collect rich data up front, providing deeper and more meaningful engagement down the track is going to be really tough. Right? So, unless you can fix that part, unless you're able to grab the gold, use that data and then be able to regurgitate it as a service offering, you're going to be behind the eight ball. Now, until that's fixed, until you can really understand how you can hold that data in the same way that Facebook does, it's probably a really great example, um, they can push stuff back to you that's highly relevant because they know so much about what you do. We're in a great position. Our industry's in a fantastic position. We know so much more about our clients than a lot of other people, right? I mean, outside of probably a doctor, we collect... And, and sometimes we get that through insurances, right? So we are really at the, at the forefront of collecting the most rich data from our clients, but we have nowhere to put it. Right now, we have nowhere to put it, we have no way to sort it, we have no way to regurgitate it to create that uh, engagement down the track. So that's a it's perfect segue for me, Mark, because
0: one of the most popular topics we talk about in the XY Advisor Facebook, group, and if you're not in it, go to xyadvisor.com forward slash community and join up, Uh, is technology. Uh, People love talking about tech, what new tech we're using. Um, And data collection is all about having a technology solution to be able to capture that data and regurgitate it. Um, So just quickly, before we wrap up, uh, I'd love to hear what tech all of you are using in your businesses um, and claim uh, how are you collecting data um, from with
5: regards to your book? Yep. Um. Yeah. That's That's pretty much the top one at the moment. Um, I'm not great with tech. But I'll, I'll outsource that question to Patty. Paddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, so we
4: we have Salesforce as our CRM, um, which has been a big investment to get that to do what we want it to do. Um, we have Midwinter, beautifully shrink-wrapping the SOI. So it does exactly what we need it to do, and it has given it the right proportion within our business. So we don't have this huge piece of software that's designed to do a whole bunch of stuff that we're never going to use. We've we've put it in context, and and Midwinter delivers on that for us very well. Um.
2: We currently using X L C R M and we sure use i <laughs> <laughs> currently using and I'm always under a review. Um, and uh, we we will we use Asana for tasking, so not so much just the data collection, um, Infusionsoft for marketing and um, Slack for talking to each other in the office.
0: Awesome. Um, so we're going to wrap up. I hope uh, you've really enjoyed this session. I know I have. So can we just give our panellists a round of applause? <laughs> and midwinter, as sponsors, have also generously donated everyone a copy of Claim's new book, Fund um, Your Ideal Lifestyle. So uh, we were talking about being helpful for... And a type of book like this is infinitely helpful to clients. So uh, grab your copy on your way out after you've made sure we've um, really damaged the bill on the bar. So stick around. Adrian tried to scare you off before but I'm here to encourage you to really go to town. So one last round of applause and thank you very much.